0: Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lechtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about, yet again, another topic that Claudia Yisrael hope we would not have to deal with, and that is blatant anti-Semitism. In particular, our focus is going to be the anti-Semitism on the elite university campuses, the Harvards, the Cornells, the Columbias, the Pens of the world. How could they talking about especially the students and also some faculty and some administrators. How could they be so smart on the one hand and so misguided? And have such decadent values on the other hand. We are going to have a number of insightful and wise guests joining us today. We are going to start out with JJ Kimchi, originally from London, now a PhD candidate at Harvard University. Then we're going to talk about a number of halachic aspects of our topic with Rabbi Jonas and Sachs, who's the Rav of the Aguda in Messiah. Then we'll hear from a second student, Jacob Berman, who is an undergraduate student at Binghamton University that has a huge Jewish and and from population. Then we will speak with two great intellectuals together, Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein and Jonathan Rosenblum. Rabbi Adlerstein is the Director of Interfaith Affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, and Jonathan Rosenblum, the famed Mishpacha columnist and author. And then we'll speak with a third student, Yitzhi Tanner, who is receiving both undergraduate and graduate degrees at the University of Pennsylvania. And then we will culminate the show with Rabbi Beryl Wine. Some of the topics that we will talk about include where did all of the anti-Semitism on university campuses come from? Should it be a concern to our community? Can anything be done? If a student on campus is feeling threatened, can he? And when can he take off his kippah, tuck in the tzitzis, remove a mezuzah from his door? Unfortunately, there are those out there, anti-Semites, looking for mezuzahs. This uh, really is reminiscent of a Gomorrah. It wouldn't seem to apply... It's not exactly on point, but the concept seems to be exactly on point. Olam Haful Chayisi, we are seeing a perverse upside down world. We are seeing that the people, the groups that are Tachtonim are Elyonim, and the Elyonim are Tachtonim, which means those who should be elevated, Klali Yisrael, they should be treated as the Elyonim. They have ethics, they have values, and they were attacked. They are being being treated as the Tachtonim. They are being trodden. And on the other hand, those who should be trodden, on and on. The terrorists, the anti-Semites, they are treated in many places, but not all, as the El Yonim. And truth be told, a little bit of, of, on a personal note, anti-Semitism should not be very surprising to us. I grew up in Los Angeles, and I can remember vividly Four different times I experienced as a young kid anti-Semitism, and I'll go through them fairly quickly, but they are inst- instructive. I was a kid, It was this was in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s, in Rancho Park, which is adjacent to the Froom community, one of the Froom communities, and an older boy came over to me, I was a younger boy, and he said, let me see your horns. He wanted me to remove my yarmulke so he could see the horns that Jews have. I didn't really know what, he, what he's talking about. I didn't have horns. There was a time that my parents took us bowling on a birthday outing and we got stoned We got stoned by a group of boys. We were wearing yarmulke. I was with a number of my friends. My parents took us, and we were literally stoned. Stones were thrown at us. We had to run. There was a time in eighth grade on Shabbos. We were on the way to our Rebbe's house to learn, Gemara, and we were chased by a number of boys. That's number three, incident number three. And number four was right in front of the house I grew up in. There was an older boy, young man, who was delivering newspapers and started shouting at me, dirty Jew, and chasing after me. And I will say, I and my friends did not initiate one of these. We didn't know about horns. We obviously didn't want to be stoned. We obviously didn't want to be chased. Jews are not initiating these anti-Semitic acts that are being perpetrated upon them. Let's talk about the current U.S. discrimination. There's discrimination in the United States. Jews are victims of 51% of hate crimes in the United States, and they're only 2% of the population. 2% of the population, but 51% of hate crimes. Let's talk about the U.N.'s discrimination. Here are the stats. From 2015 through 2022, the United Nations General Assembly has adopted one 140 resolutions on Israel. That means against Israel, and 68 on all other countries combined. And now let's talk about campus discrimination. Campus discrimination throughout the United States. I'll just give an example from a letter that was written by Bill Ackman. He is a billionaire hedge fund manager who has donated millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars to harvard university and just on november 4th 2023 he wrote a letter to the president of harvard saying i have lost confidence that you will do anything about the rampant anti-semitism at harvard and he says and this is a busy person that he spent seven hours on campus at harvard meeting with jewish israeli non-jewish students faculty etc and he says over the course of the day i am Quoting the letter, the public letter that he wrote, over the course of the day, it became clear that the situation at Harvard is dire and getting worse, much worse than I had realized. Jewish students are being bullied, physically intimidated, spat on, and in several widely disseminated videos of one such incident, physically assaulted. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Here are a couple of explanations as to what is going on on the university campuses. We'll start with one from a Sky News reporter.
1: This is what happens when you have a generation of bored, useless, and over coddled snowflakes who don't believe in God and they want to feel like they are part of something. These are the same young morons who were out on the streets rioting for BLM a couple years ago. And now they are willing to jump on the anti-Semitic bandwagon to uh to riot uh in or just protest in some cases against israel uh these same people who are out there i guarantee you chris if you ask these young people anything about the israeli uh palestinian conflict they couldn't tell you anything they have no idea what why they are out there other than the fact that they are intent on tearing down western civilization and they are obsessed with the hierarchy of victimhood and intersectionality this is about far less Leftism, and it leads to very ugly places. I have Jewish friends all around the country who are scared of where this is going and, and, and frankly terrified that soon they might start rounding up the Jews. This is very dark stuff that's going on all around the world, particularly in Western countries right now.
0: Here is a separate, more metaphysical explanation from a very intelligent woman named Ayan Hersi Ali. When you look at our campuses
2: and you see you know, our kids, these are our kids in legacy universities, chanting on and cheering on
3: an entity that just committed the most barbaric, most heinous attacks on babies, on grandmothers. Then you really
2: have to ask yourself, all the governing boards, the presidents of these universities, what are we doing to our own kids? These kids who go to Columbia and Yale and Sanford and Harvard and on and on, these are the people who are going to be running our country. I'm in my 50s. They're the next generation. They're the ones who are coming to leadership positions, and that doesn't look promising.
0: What I'd like to do now is give some examples of the anti-Semitic incidents that are occurring at some of the elite University campuses, Harvard, as we mentioned before, but a little bit more detail now, there was a mob of Harvard students... Some of them clad in kafias, Palestinian kafias harassing a Jewish student. It's videoed. It's videoed. Now one of the people there of the mob of the Vildechayas was named Ibrahim Barmal, who is the editor of this prestigious Harvard Law Review. So he's in Harvard Law School and he's the editor of the Harvard Law Review. That is a publication whose past editors included former US President Barack Obama. Next. Penn, University of Pennsylvania, also in the Ivy League. Even before October 7th, they had a Palestine Rights Literature Festival. Literature should be innocuous. On the roster of speakers included anti-Semites. One of them named Roger Waters, the Pink Floyd frontman who is an absolute bigot anti-Semite. Swastikas found on campus. The Penn Hillel was vandalized. Next, Cornell, also in the Ivy League. There was a professor... Russell Rickford, who made the statement closely after Hamas's attack against Israel, horrific attack against Israel, he says as follows on camera to a group of students to protest in favor of Hamas. Hamas has shifted the balance of power. Hamas has punctured the illusion of invincibility. That's what they've done. He's cheering them on. And then he says, what a nutcase, quote, it was exhilarating. It was energizing. This is a crazed individual. This person should not only be terminated from campus as a professor he should be sent out of the united states of america and then at cornell again there was posted on an online form a warning to shoot up that's to attack to kill its center for jewish living and kosher dining hall cooper's union this one made the rounds a mob of anti-israel protesters students forced a small group of religious jewish students to barricade themselves in the school's library for 20 minutes As the other students, the protesters, pounded on the doors. And the university's president, I don't know what this guy is smoking, he described the rally as a, quote, peaceful protest. At UCLA, on the West Coast, students rallying around the chant, quote, Israel, you can't hide, we want Jewish genocide. And in George Washington University, Students for Justice in Palestine projected pro-Hamas slogans on the library, such as, quote, glory to our martyrs, martyrs, Hamas, because they killed Jews. Incidentally, that library was donated by Jewish benefactors. These slogans are being chanted all over the place. The slogan, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What does that mean, from a river up to the sea? That means there is no place for Jews anywhere. They will have to be destroyed. And even more explicitly, and this was also said in Australia, gas the Jews. Here are some examples of the slogans being chanted on campuses. We said in, in the Parsha Avram in purchasing the Mara Samach Be'lai, he says as follows to Bnei Ches Ger machem. I am a Ger, I am a Toshav. I am a somebody who's just a Ger, I just happen to be here, but I don't belong. Uh, on the other hand, I'm also a Toshav. I also belong here. That's what he said in Parsha's Chaisorah. And this is something that we could have said about ourselves on secular campuses up until October 7th, maybe, maybe, but certainly now, after everything that's going on, we can no longer say we are ger ger, we are a ger, we don't belong, we are certainly not. A Toshav. I want to play another clip here. This is the son of Hamas. This is the son of one of the co founders of Hamas addressing all of these protesters and university campuses. They think they are so right. They have impeccable values promoting, supporting Hamas. And this is what he has to say to them.
4: There are a bunch of movements coming forward in the West, angry in the streets, protesting. Some call themselves pro-Palestine, some call themselves free Palestine. Others say end occupation. What occupation are you talking about? Do you mean end Israel and give Hamas what they want? Give Hamas weaponry, territory, soldiers, army, so they can mess more with the global security? Are you totally blind? How can't you see the things in common between the West and Israel? And how can't you see the violence and the brutality of Hamas movement? Or it's your hatred. You have nothing to do with Palestine. You're just projecting hatred and inflicting emotional pain on the Jewish people as they mourn a modern-day holocaust? Do you think this is how you help Palestine? There is no such a thing as Palestine. Palestine what? Yasser Arafat, Palestine? PLO, Palestine? PA, Palestine? Hamas, Palestine? Islamic Jihad, Palestine? What Palestine are you protesting for? You have no idea what you're talking about. I am being emotional. I have the right to be emotional. Because I speak on behalf of the children. As a Palestinian child. As a child of the land. I qualify to talk about the subject. But you? You have no idea what you're talking about. You've never been there. You did not live the pain of that land. So what are you protesting against or about? What is your problem? What comes to mind is a
0: vort from Parshas Toldos. It says in the Pasuk, as Rivka was pregnant with twins, Esav and Yaakov, it says, They were quarreling, not getting along, in utero. Rashi says as follows, when when they would pass by the yeshiva, they'd pass by the yeshiva of Sheva aver Yaakov Avina wanted to get by. Let me out, let me out, I want to learn Torah. When they passed by a place of Avodah Zorah, Esav wanted to get out, let me out, I want to go worship Avodah Zorah. And the question is as follows, I saw, this is actually a... Riddle we had way back, I don't remember when, we can understand Esau wants to get out of the womb, because there's no Avodah Zara in the womb, that's a place of learning Torah, let me out, I want to go worship Avodah Zara, but why would Yaakov want to get out? The womb, Chazal tell us, is where we learn Kolatora It's a Gemara Nida, why would he want to get out? And the response that I saw was, it's not that he necessarily wanted to get out of the womb. He wanted to get away from Esau. And the point was, when we have bad influences, when we have evil people next to us, we need to get out. And maybe that is a lesson. Maybe that's an important lesson that we can learn from what's going on on the campuses right now. And in Mirza we will cover that. One of the top subjects we will cover in today's she'er. There are actions being taken. There are certainly actions being taken by business people and they should be commended. Yasha keep up the great work. The first that is being taken, the first initiative is some of the mega donors that previously donated to the elite universities. They have said we are no longer going to be donating until there are significant changes at the universities that we have previously funded. For example, Mark Rowan, who was an alumni of Wharton, Wharton is the business school of the University of Pennsylvania, he donated at one time $50 million to Penn. He said, unless the university president, Liz McGill, steps down, I will not be funding anymore. I am so upset about the rampant anti-Semitism at the University of Pennsylvania. And he wrote a letter. He went public with this. And a number of other donors, he actually on the board of trustees of Penn, a number of other donors to the University of Pennsylvania have likewise said, We are not going to be donating anymore. In fact, the Wall Street Journal said Penn faces perhaps the biggest donor revolt. Another individual, David Magerman, he happened to have been in Eretz Israel on October 7th. He too, a mega donor to the school, has said, I will not be donating anymore. It's not only the University of Pennsylvania, it's other places as well. For example, the Omega family office chairman and CEO, Leon Cooperman has said, I will not be funding Columbia University anymore due to the students protesting over Israel, against Israel. Here's a clip of Mr. Cooperman saying that as follows.
5: Now, the real shame is I've given to Columbia probably about $50 million over many years, and I'm going to suspend my giving. I'll give my giving to other organizations.
0: Now, following up on that concept, I just want to read a quote from Rav Moshe Sternbach. There is somebody who sends around his divrei Torah, and this is what they said in Parsha's Lech Lecha, a quote from Rav Sternbach, in practice, anti-Semitism is already increasing in many places, and the situation is not likely to improve. Those living overseas would be well advised to support yeshivas and kollelim in Eretz Yisrael in order to accumulate merit. So the, all that money that used to go to the secular, elite universities. As Rosternbach says, let's give it to the yeshivas. Let's give it to the kolos and Eretz Yisho. And if people, the donors, are not at that point to give it to the yeshivas, we have other places to give it to in need. We have Yeshiva University, especially the Sy Sim School of Business, people who are giving to the Warren School of Business and other business schools. Move it over to Sy Sims. They have the most unbelievable, amazing dean, Dean Noam Wasserman, who is doing miracles at the school. He happens to be my older brother. Put the funding over to SISIM School of Business and other needy places, Toro College. These places really can have a major positive impact on Klal Yisra by giving to these places. Just a, an interesting point as well, uh, talking about Dean Wasserman. He has an initiative, I'm I'm saying take funders funders go over to the sci School of Business, but his initiative is not only saying to students who are at schools that they feel threatened by, go over, move over to Cy but also he's taking in an initiative to professors, professors, Jewish professors, Israeli professors who are feeling threatened where they are teaching, move over to YU. He's opened up four positions for the coming semester. You got to move quickly and that may turn into full-time positions. He's also looking for funding for that, already raised half, so people who can fund, Let's support Klal Yisrael. Let's support the students moving over. Let's support the professors who should move over. Let's bulk up our institutions and benefit from the failures of the secular elite institutions. The next initiative taken by business leaders is being spearheaded by the law firms, also some businesses, but especially the law firms. They have written a letter. This was actually reported in the Wall Street Journal. It was spearheaded and is spearheaded by a spectacular attorney named Joe Shanker. He is the senior chairman of the international law firm of Sullivan and Cromwell, and he spearheaded the writing of a letter to the deans of the elite law school saying, you are raising students who are bigoted, anti-Semitic, and we're not going to be offering them jobs. And we need to see the initiative that you take teaching those students to be fair to be normal, to not be bigoted because otherwise we're not going to be hiring them. And hats off to Mr. Joe Schenker and all of the other law firms and all the other corporations who are following suit and those that have rescinded the offers that they had given to these students once they saw students who were supporting Hamas. Hats off to you. We should have more of that action by the business world saying we are going to not going to accept bigotry. And it doesn't matter if it's against Jews or blacks or Muslims or anyone else. There is no place for that in normal Western society. I just want to play a last audio from Nikki Haley, who was a Republican candidate for president in 2024, discussing these actions by the employers.
6: These protests that we're seeing, are you telling me that these professors, that these college students, they are supporting a terrorist organization that I asked for a vote at the United Nations and the majority of the countries at the UN agreed that Hamas was a terrorist organization. Yet we have Americans protesting saying that they support an organization that is a terrorist organization that killed 33 Americans that took almost 20 hostage that said death to America and continues to say death to America every day. So do these Americans want to see them destroy America? And if they do, every one of them is dangerous to our country. Every single one of them, because that's what Hamas preaches is death to America. So when they get up there and they hold those signs or they get upset on why people won't hire them, it's because companies don't want to hire someone who wants to destroy our country.
0: Just again, I want to say to all the mega donors who have ceased funding the bigoted universities, Congratulations to you. Fantastic work. It's greatly appreciated by Klal Israel. And now, before going to our guests, let's hear the riddle of the week. The riddle of the week is this week is from Parsha Toldos towards the end of the Parsha when Yaakov goes to get the bracha that was to be given to Esav. Yitzchak says as follows: VaYomer Hakol Kol Yaakov. That voice I recognize it. That's Yaakov. Esav. And when he touched him. With a fur on him, Yitzchak says, but he feels like a sub. And the Medrish says as follows, a very important medris really in Yonadioma relates to what we're going through today. Bizman, Kol Yaakov, Nishma, Babate, Midrashas. At a time when I hear the call, the voice of Yaakov, that's Kol is being heard in the shuls, in the Bate Medrash. That is, we're davening out loud with Kavanah. We're learning with Asmada. Ain De The hands of Esav. The Esavs of the world, the Ishmaels of the world, the Hamases of the world, they can have no impact on Klal Yisrael when we're learning and when we are davening. Obviously, obviously should inspire us and influence even more to continue and increase what we're doing. But that's not the riddle of the week. The riddle of the week is from the spelling. It says Vayomer Hakol Kol kol Yaakov, if we look at the word Vayomer Hakol, it is spelled without a vav, it is spelled chaser, it's spelled kuf lamed instead of kuf Vav Lamed. And the question is, why is the Vav missing
7: from that word Hakol? If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732 806 In England, it's 44, I think that's the country code, three three zero one one seven zero two five zero. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 372 304
0: and now let's go and hear from our guests. Joining us now is JJ Kimchi. JJ is originally from London and is currently finishing up his PhD in modern religious philosophy at Harvard University. He is also the host of the podcast of Jewish Ideas. JJ, thank you so much for joining us.
8: Thank you for having me. It's good to be here.
0: It's good to have you, JJ. Love to get your insights on what's going on at Harvard. Maybe we'll expand a little bit to other campuses as well. But I'd like to start before October 7th because Maybe we'll have something to compare or contrast. What would you say the environment on the Harvard campus was for Jews up till, but not including, October 7th when we had the horrific attack by Hamas against Israel?
8: Um, I would say the environment leading up to it was difficult but manageable. In other words, you had certain courses and certain professors who were very clearly anti-Israel and explicitly so. Um, and in fact, I wrote a piece uh, for City Journal uh, last year documenting some of these. And you have you had obviously certain pro-Palestinian groups um, who you knew who they were and you knew who the leaders were and you sort of avoided them. And you, you'd you expect Nasty flare-ups occasionally, um, and you know there's every year there's Israel apartheid week, and they build an apartheid wall and all sorts of uh, all sorts of similar campus shenanigans. But in general, Jewish students were able to go about their lives um, without too much. Uh, fear or or without too much um, uh, apprehension, um, I will say that some the many undergraduates for for several years have been too in- intimidated to voice their true opinions in public or at least in the classroom uh, because undergraduates at Harvard and many other schools um, and law students as well really do depend on their peers for social approval and also for you know just a- every facet of the campus life is dependent upon having a group of friends and be able to keep a group of friends and therefore many of them realize that if they try and defend Israel or say pro-Israel things that they will be excluded either explicitly or just implicitly, I suppose, um, by their peers, and therefore they haven't voiced their opinion so much. But however, having said that prior to October the 7th, there was a general um, modus vivendi on campus that you could just get by as a Jewish student without too much trouble, um, aside from these small flare-ups that i described.
0: And you knew who your friends were, and you know who your friends were not at that point.
8: Yes, more or less, more or less, yeah. You knew who you could rely on, you knew also who, with whom you had severe enough political disagreements that that could potentially turn nasty, you know, under the right circumstances. You
0: you knew who to avoid and who you didn't have to avoid. Precisely, yes. So so October 7th, what was the, or thereafter, what was the reaction on campus to the barbaric attack, and how quick was it, who reacted, pro,
8: con, walk us through? I mean it was astonishing and I have to say that um I, I can describe my experience of that evening and and, and I think all my fellow Harvard uh, students certainly the, the religious Jews had a similar experience which is that you know all, all of us diaspora jury on Sunday night we turned on our phones right after Torah, so we we turned on our phones and and saw with mounting disbelief and and outrage and, and sadness the images that were coming through and the news that was coming through and you know we'd heard trickles of rumors throughout the the throughout Shemini Starah, but we we didn't know what believe, we didn't know how extensive and how, you know, to what what extent the violence really was. And then we see this, and and obviously, I mean, it's, it's absolutely appalling in every possible way. However, those of us on university campuses received a second shock that evening, which is we turned on our phone, and, you know, we're scrolling through our Twitter feeds, we're scrolling through our news feeds, and we see that... Members of our of our campus, our you know, people who we'd considered until this point classmates, those who are part of various student organizations, obviously the the the, the pro Palestine groups, but even many other groups, had signed letters stating that this was Israel's fault, that this uh, that these Hamas attacks were what they called justified resistance, that they identified themselves with this justified resistance, and that they, in some cases, certain campuses, were celebrating this and saying things like "Glory to our martyrs," and uh, you know, from the river to the sea, and all sorts of other. Uh, some other statements. Again, within 24 hours of these massacres, so before Israel fired a shot in retaliation, before there was any kind of reaction on the part of Israel, simply uh, as soon as these attacks occurred, there was a wave of justification, a wave of identification, and in, on some campuses, a wave of celebration of these attacks. And you can imagine as Jewish students sitting on these campuses, the shock of this is because the whole university campus presupposes essentially a sort of shared space, a kind of social uh, a fabric as it were, which is that, okay, you have political disagreements with the students sitting next to you, but at the end of the day, you assume that you can get along with them. You assume that when push comes to shove, they'll defend you and you'll defend them. And, and basically you're existing in the shared student community. Well, as Jewish students after October the 7th, we know now what we didn't know three weeks ago, which is that our fellow classmates, people with whom we share, library with whom we share, um, you know, uh, dormitories, etc., they will not only not defend us, they will cheer on as people uh, come and kill Jews. They will cheer the slaughter of Jews in Israel, presumably across the world, as part of a justified resistance against what they what they deem to be, erroneously deemed to be colonization and, and, and oppression. And therefore, we now know that our classmates will not stand up for us. On the contrary, they will cheer for those who try and kill us. And it is a shocking and absolutely spine-chilling realization on the part of Jewish students across the country. I think this will have effect for years to come.
0: Absolutely horrific. How widespread is it? Is it a few students? How many groups was it? And how many students do they represent?
8: Okay, so this is a bit of an open question. Um, so so on the Harvard campus, for example, 31 student groups immediately su- uh, signed this, this initial letter, uh, basically justifying the attacks. Um, the question is, the two questions, firstly, how many student groups does this represent? Now, so, some of these groups are quite large and some of them could be quite small. I think to form a group on the Harvard campus, if I'm not mistaken, you need 20 names signed up. But it's also not clear how many rank-and-file members of each student group... W- you know, knew about or were willing to sign up to what their leaders had signed up to. So for example, you had certain lists on that group, like the, the Nepalese students uh, group at Harvard. Okay, so I don't know how many students are in that group. And I also don't know how many regular members agreed with their leaders when they put their name to that letter. And um, having said that, you know, the, the demonstrations that were going through campus, again, demonstrations before Israel retaliated, before they fired a shot, before there was a war in Gaza going on, just demonstrations across campuses celebrating and justifying the Hamas atrocities. Um, they were g- g- garnering hundreds of students hundreds. on campuses across well, on campuses across the country. The Harvard specifically, I'm not sure, I don't have a very good estimation of the numbers, but definitely several dozen um, and, and over 100, I would assume. Um, And yes, I would assume this is a sentiment shared by probably a few hundred of the students. But don't forget that these are the loudest um, noisiest and also in, in many ways a very loud and vocal minority often a very powerful group especially on campus because they intimidate other students and also it, because they occupy many of these students occupy what i might call the sort of the extreme ideological left so they assume a position of moral superiority that ma- many other students will simply nod along in other words if you have leaders of the black lives matter movement if you have leaders of the environmental you know uh, extinction rebellion movement if these people are standing up and saying you know uh, glory to Hamas and Hamas are right in what they did, then many other students will simply nod along um, b- because they've been nodding along with all the other things that these groups have been pushing for the last few years. Um, and in fact, the universities themselves have to, in a s- certain way, nod along because they can't, they can't do anything else. They can't now turn around and say these groups who they've uh, glorified and these groups who they've um, sort of shone a light on as the finest of their students have got this one terribly, terribly wrong. And therefore, s- administrations across the country have essentially gone out of their way not to condemn these groups. So, Did the administration
0: at Harvard, when this letter was signed by 31 groups, did the administration, did the president get involved? Did they make a statement
8: or did they so, also- so the truth. So the truth is they, a few things happened. Firstly, they took their sweet time. Right? They took a few days. And in fact, I wrote a very scathing article in the Wall Street Journal, anyone could look it up, called Harvard Shrugs at Jew Hatred. I mean, that was the title they gave. That was the headline they gave it. But essentially, I... I called out the administration, called out Harvard for exactly this. Um, So that for several days, firstly, they didn't respond. And when they did respond, they actually had to put out a few statements, one following another, because they, they used, I would say at first they used very equivocal language to sort of describe the situation and and they didn't come out at all strongly against Hamas the the subsequent statements um, did come out fairly strongly against Hamas I mean that's at least a very very baseline of decency what they didn't do and this is the most important thing the Harvard administration and administrations across the country generally did not condemn their own student groups for backing Hamas and for backing these trustees against Israel that is the thing that, that, that concerns me most because the administration clearly hasn't realized that they have a deep deep problem on their own campus, which is that hundreds of their own students see the mass slaughter of Jews and start celebrating it, and start cheering it, and start saying, oh, this is a wonderful thing. We're behind this. We identify with it. We believe this is part of a resistance movement that we are part of. Right? And the, and the administration haven't got up and said, no, this is disgraceful. This is against the ethos. What they should have said is this is disgraceful. This is against the ethos of Harvard. This is against everything we as universities stand for. This is against you know, the, the atmosphere of, um, of, of, firstly against the humanity, but also it's against the atmosphere of the university that we're trying to promote in which we don't celebrate deaths of civilians, especially those with whom hundreds of our own Jewish students, um, and Israeli students are, you know, are intimately connected with. And the administration didn't say that they never got up and said what these student groups are saying is antithetical to everything we've been trying to build for decades at Harvard. And, and again, shame on them for doing that. Shame on them for not rising to this crucial moral moment uh, in which their voice would have been very important to those of us fighting for decency and humanity.
0: It really sounds like those videos that you see of the terrorists and non-quote-unquote terrorists, as uh, citizens, innocent citizens, right. giving out candies and celebrating these attacks in the Gaza Strip and uh, other Muslim countries. It really sounds like that.
8: Yeah, it, yes, absolutely. It was, and you should see, this is something interesting as well, you should see the tone of these rallies it's something that's difficult to, to describe precisely if you see videos of these rallies these are not rallies you know or, or let's put it the other way if you see the jewish rallies um many of the you know, the, the ones that i attended uh, in person they were often quite i would say sad and mournful in the sense that you know we are facing a difficult situation we're very we're very sad about this um, but, you know, we support Israel, you know, despite the the loss of civilian life on the other side, which we, you know, acknowledge and we are sad about, et cetera, et cetera. Those have been the tone of the Jewish, the pro-Israel rallies. The tone of the pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinian rallies have just been frenzied celebration of the slaughter of Jews. That, that's exactly what it's been. You could see it. You could see it in the eyes. You could see it in their cheers. You could see it in the sorts of things they said. For example, I mean, um, a couple nights ago, I, d- I don't know when this is going to be released, but a couple nights ago um, um, from when we're recording this, there was this um, demonstration at Cooper Union. Um, uh, which is a college in, in downtown, in, in uh, downtown Manhattan, I believe, or somewhere in New York City, um, and and the Jewish students actually had to be uh, barricaded themselves in the library because the the pro Palestine mob were essentially surrounding them and threatening them, and they basically had to be escorted away from campus by the by the NYPD. And and one of the cheers I noticed that was going on there was globalize the Intifada, okay? That was a cheer that's been, um, you know, that resounded on campuses across the country. And, of course, any of us, any Jew who knows anything, and anyone who's been paying the blindest bit of attention to the news coming out of the Middle East for the last quarter of a century knows exactly what globalize the Intifada means. Intifada is the um, bloody and, and um, you know, uh, bloodlust uprising, so to speak, which specifically targets Israeli and Jewish civilians. It's exactly what it is. And the call to globalize the Intifada is a specific call to target those who... To support Israel, which is a, a very thinly veiled a code for Jews across the world. A call to globalise the Intifada, which has been, um, you know, at, at most of these rallies that of the videos that I've seen, is a an, a, an explicit call for violence to be visited on Jews across the world, um, and this is being cheered on as not only a good thing but a necessary step in the achievement of justice across the world. It is astonishing that otherwise intelligent and otherwise educated people uh, on campuses across the country are cheering very explicitly for the death of Jews, not only in Israel, which is bad enough, but where they are at the time, in their own place. And that is what I mean when I say our own classmates would cheer if Hamas terrorists would break into the Harvard Hill tomorrow and massacre Jews. There are other students on the Harvard campus who would cheer this as a good thing.
0: So, JJ, you used to hear... People claim, I'm not anti-Jews, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm just anti-Israel. And it doesn't seem to be that any of these protesters are making that claim. Is that correct?
8: okay so so they would say if you if you interview them let's say in public they would say oh yeah yeah, yeah not anti-jewish just anti-israel just anti-zionist or, or something similar and some of them would even point to the fact they have jews in their own protest of course in these protests are joined two types of jews one type would be the notorious carter um and the other type would be the far 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 left-wing jews and the sorts of jews who i like to refer to as as the chickens for kfc brigade um you know those who who uh you know campaign enthusiastically for their own slaughter um those are the types of jews joining these uh these protests and, and and they would claim, ah, you see, so now we can say that we're not anti-Jewish, we're merely anti-Israel. Um, however, for many, for the vast majority of Jews on and off campuses today, I would say that the the events of the last three weeks has conclusively ripped off the veil from many of these student groups, meaning we now know what they mean. When they say free Palestine, we now know what they mean when they say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. We now know what they mean uh, when they say, you know, um, um, decolonization, all these things. They mean any means necessary up to and certainly including the mass slaughter and, and, and rape and beheading and kidnapping of Jews everywhere. Now, this is a perfectly legitimate uh, means to achieve our, our political ends. And again, they have unmasked themselves as not only political opponents of, Jew, of Jews on campus, but actually, in my opinion, a clear and present threat to the safety of fellow Jewish students on campus. These groups are not fellow students anymore. These are direct um, foot soldiers of those who wish to slaughter Jews. And as I say, the universities have not woken up to the threat that this poses, not only to the Jewish students, but to all students across the campus.
0: Right. So, uh, JJ, as a student of history, especially you've studied a lot of, of German Jewish history. Mm. Do you see any parallels here to anything that we saw in the
8: 1900s? Well, I would say the. I mean, there are there are several disturbing trends and parallels. Absolutely. Uh, the one I would say is the the betrayal of the intellectuals. The use of uh, I would say intellectually fashionable concepts and ideas and motifs in order to justify the basic slaughter of Jews. In other words, at these rallies, you'll hear all the, uh, the these pro Hamas rallies. You'll hear all the fashionable. Uh, terminology that has been flying around the classroom for the last couple of decades being trotted out. Anti, you know, you know uh, the, the the thrust towards decolonization and, you know, the, it escapes me right now, but essentially all the tropes that they have been taught in the classroom has now been brought to bear as a justification for killing Jews. And, and again, this is exactly how it happens within Nazi Germany and within other parts of Europe as well, that you use the language uh, for the Nazis, it was a specific theory about race and a specific theory about a sort of scientifically oriented um, um, theory of eugenics, essentially, um, which, which was used towards the end of slaughtering Jews. And now it is the rhetoric of, again, decolonization, the rhetoric of anti-Western sentiment, the re- rhetoric of trying to up uh, um, uh, rise up against the empires and rise up against the oppressors and all sorts of uh, nonsense terminology like that. This is, again, being directed to defend from a fashionable and intellectually respectable point of view the mass slaughter of Jews. And again, this is extremely worrying, and if the universities themselves do not tackle this, as it's been often pointed out, they come for the Jews first, it never ends for the Jews. This is a turning point I think in the history of of campus life in the United States and in the West in general. And if the universities do not rise to confront this hatred and this excusal of of mass slaughter of civilians head-on, they will have a real real problem on their hands. And I think they already do. Um And I'm, I'm really not sure how they're going to get themselves out of this, if at all possible.
0: Frightening. Absolutely frightening. Well, yes. Last question for you. What are the uh, Jewish students on the Harvard campus currently feeling? You're in touch with dozens of them. And maybe talk yeah. about, does that differ? Is that the same from other campuses that you've been in touch with?
8: Um No, I think the, the reaction across liberal campuses, and again, when I... The thing is that many of the campuses we're talking about are, are the either the Ivy League campuses or the the campuses of um, universities that are uh, highly sort of highly prized or, or truly prestigious universities. Those are the sorts of universities that tend to have a fairly high Jewish population. So you know, University of Pennsylvania, Columbia University, New York University, all these other universities that are prestigious. You know, I'm sure that many predominantly Christian universities in the South, let's say, um, don't have these mass demonstrations on campus, uh, hysterically celebrating the, the slaughter of, uh, of hundreds of Jews. Um, you know, you seem to see that less. It is specifically on the, uh, the super liberal and highly prestigious campuses on universities in the Northeast that this is predominantly happening. Uh, but again, these are campuses with a very high concentration of Jews as well. Um, and, and again, the, the students that I've spoken to, there is a shared feeling of shock. of of outrage, of grief, and in general, a a, a sense of deep betrayal. That again, a month ago, we looked at these pro-Palestinian groups and we said, okay, we don't like them very much and they certainly support the wrong cause and they, you know, we consider them political uh, opponents. But at the end of the day, they're classmates, you know, we could sit next to them in English or history or mathematics and have a conversation with them and collaborate with them, etc. And now Jewish students are turning around and saying, I don't think it's safe to sit in a classroom with this person. You know, if these people can support Hamas, these people can support and cheer on the slaughter of Jews. Why? Why should I? Why should I trust them? How can I possibly know that they aren't going to try and do something to me, or, or, um, you know, or at least justify those who will try and do something uh, to Jewish students tomorrow? And and it really has shaken Jewish students. And again, when the dust settles from all of this, and hopefully it will soon, um, there's going to be a, a serious reckoning on the part of Jews in universities and throughout the West. I think this is something which will shake the foundations of Jewish society. As much as it possibly can, um, and you know, I, I only hope this will end up well. But as usual, I'm pessimistic.
0: JJ, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we have a of lot, to, we have a lot to dive in for. Primarily, the safety of uh, Jews throughout the world. Thank you so much. A real pleasure meeting you, JJ. A pleasure. Thank
8: you for having me. All the best.
0: Joining us now is Rabbi Jonas and Sachs. Rabbi Sachs is the Mura da Asra of the Aguda in Passaic. He is the author of over. 45 Svarim, 45 Svarim, that's a lot of Svarim. And he's also the Rosh shiv of base Medrash, the Talmud at Landra College for Men. Rabbi Sachs, thank you so much for joining us.
9: Thank you, it's a pleasure to be with you, albeit at very difficult and trying times.
0: Uh, Rabbi Sachs, I know we're here to talk halacha, but before that, I, I know you visited Eretz Yisrael fairly recently. I'd love to get a sense of what you saw. I know you visited a number of yeshivas and you were with people on the ground. So let us know what, what you saw and we'd love to hear your your comments on uh, what, what you learned.
9: I was there last week for several days. The purpose of the mission really was to visit the yeshivas and to give divrei chizuk. What was inspirational is not only the chizuk that I hope I imparted, but the chizuk that I received in being there. The Talmidim are there, the Batimidrashim, generally speaking, are filled. They're learning with incredible Hasmada. My message to them was the Pasuk of Lahagid Baboker Chazdecha Vemonas ba In times of great Simcha, you have to sing the praises of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and in Esorah, you have to absolutely embrace Emuna, and to do so through the Koach Hatfila and Hasmada Neisot
0: yeah, very good. Thank you so much. It's nice to start with that. I, I, I guess a lo- another introduction, we are focused on anti-Semitism, specifically at university campuses, but at a, as a general concept, Chazal tell us that there's a halacha and that it's Yadua that Esav, Sona Yaakov, that Esav hates Yaakov. And I'd like to get uh, the Rosh Hashiva's take on what does that mean, Halacha? Because this is not brought in Shulchan Apparently it's not meant to be a Halacha Psuka, so it means something else. And what does it mean, Halacha? What does it mean, Yadua? And are we talking about anti-Semitism for all non-Jewish nations? Or is it specifically represented by Yeshav? How does Yishmal fit into this?
9: You know, the Ramban, in his Psicha to Sefer Shmos, writes the Breshis is called the Sefer Yetzirah, a book of creation, not just simply because of but kulam the the zaram. Whatever happened to the avos is transformative. It's a Yitzira, It's a creation, and therefore the confrontation of Yaakov and Esav in Parshas Vayishlach is something that is stunning, not only for the moment, but even throughout our history as well. And then the Torah tells us that Vayishakehu that Esav kisses Yaakov. As you know, in the Sefer Torah, there are dots on that particular word. And Rashi and the Apostle, Lamed Yimodal, quotes the Sifri that tells us, in the name of Hashem ba Yochai, that halachihi, veyaduah she'esav Sone liyakob. And indeed, it's questionable, as you mentioned, what exactly does that mean, the multiple terms of halacha as well as Yadua. If you look at the Pirish of the Netziv, the Sifri, he writes, halacha means gemire. It's a tradition. That is something that for us is a function of Mesorah. Yadu, I would argue, has a different connotation. Yadu means something which is known. That means it's something that can be empirically tested. And I would suggest that both indeed are true anti-Semitism throughout the generations, indeed throughout the millennia. It's something which is empirical, but also it's considered to be that which is a halacha. There is a Maritz Chayis in the Sugiyan Brachos that writes that halacha can even apply to non-halachic material as well, even when it comes to de Agada, If we want to emphasize that this is something that is a function of mesorah, the term indeed halacha can be used. I've often linked that to a comment that Ravali Bartonur has in the very beginning of Pirkei Avos, that why is it that mesachas begins Moshe Kibo Torah we would think that that would be an appropriate beginning for the opening of Mishnayos of Seder's rhyme. The Rav writes the following It's so obvious to us that Brachos, Shabbos, Erevin, those are halachos that are a function of Misorah. But Perkiyavos is different. Perkiyavos is mile de Avos, nimusim, ethics, norms, conduct, moral behavior. And, and maybe one could make a grievous mistake and think that that really is not halacha at all, that is societal that is a convention, Sarebi Stunning chose to begin Perki with the Shoshela HaMessorah, because HaMessorah doesn't only inform strict, strict Halacha, HaMessorah informs Mili how it is that the act is a true, a true Evet Hashem. And therefore, I think, in terms of this reference, that Ace of and both indeed are true. It's something which is a Kabbalah, it's a Mesorah, and it's something that absolutely that we can witness, we can foretell, it is something that is empirically proven as well. It is a question: what exactly is the reference of Asa? Understood in a limited way, or is that something which indeed is considered to be that which is more expansive? When you look as an example in Egaros Moshe, in Mishpat, in Khailak Bay, Seminai, and Zion, Ramosha assumes that this is something that is true beyond, beyond Asa. It's something which is established, it's something which is fixed, it's something which applies even to other nations of the world as well. And Ramosha writes that the reason the term halach is used is because just like Kamosha, halach lo mishtanes, halach is unwavering, it's permanent, it's fixed, it's established, it's kavua. The same thing is true when it comes to Eiseb Sone Leakov as well. I noticed in the and Yud Gimel and Simon he assumes the same thing as well that this is not limited, but rather it's something indeed which is more expansive. But not all, all post indeed agree. Rav Hankin is known to have suggested that maybe it's true in a much more limited limited fashion. Rav Hankin in the Chuvah Zivra and Simon Kufta Zayin, that perhaps it applies in that context. Maybe it's not something which indeed is necessarily beyond. But I would suggest that, you know, aside from the Umanusa, this really is the plight of Knesset Israel, And it's something, indeed, that we've experienced throughout our history.
0: At least according to Rav Moshe and the Tzitz Eliezer, it's in their DNA and it's in the water.
9: Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Okay. I will tell you, when you look even in the context, but the reason the dots are in the pasuk is Rashi writes that, Nich Meracham that even Ace of experienced a change at that moment. So even if it's true, it's halacha or it's yaduah, but but recognize there can be moments, there can be windows, and, and therefore Zerashi Reis, una Bayechai, that that was indeed a sincere case.
0: Right. So even, even uh, leaders of the Western world who otherwise may not have been pro Eretz Israel, it can be when they finally realize the atrocity of what happened to us, they... Can Nichmaru uh, Racha mayhem, hopefully. Yeah, that's what we see. We see at least for now.
9: Right. I think so. We have to be on guard. We can't be fooled. But in principle, is that a possibility? Yes.
0: Okay. So next, let's talk about the protests going on worldwide. There are, unfortunately, and in mass protests in favor of Hamas, including or especially at numerous university campuses, including, or especially, the elite universities. And the question is, as you see those protests going on, they are denigrating Jews, they are denigrating the land of Israel, are there any halachic or ashkafic reasons or imperatives to counter-protest and try to set the record straight?
9: Clearly, we have to immerse ourselves in proper hishtados, proper avodas session. When the Torah describes in Parshas Matos, Mochames Midyan, Lamata, Elif Lamata means that you have to fight battles on various fronts. There the Medrash emphasizes the Chayilim and the Mispalim. And there is a clear, a clear symbiotic relationship that is evident from those Psukim. So clearly when we fight the battle, we, we do so on different, on different fronts. It's true when it comes to Chayilim. it's true in terms of the Asak the Torah, and the dikto katfila of all of us, especially, especially B'nai Yeshiva, but also in terms of public opinion, it's not something that we should be ignoring. Clearly, clearly, I think that many of us were very moved by President Biden's initial visit to Eretz Israel, by his response. I think it was heartwarming, it, it was heartfelt, and it's important that, yes, that the world leaders throughout the world should recognize that we are behind, fully behind, Eretz Yisrael. And we appreciate, again, the sacrifice, the commitment that they're making, and step by step, we're absolutely with them. So I think individuals indeed have to decide, Roshi Yeshiva, have to weigh in in terms of what is the most appropriate response. There is a rally, as you know, that uh, is scheduled, and Bezra Hashem, our Yeshiva indeed will be participating fully. Because under these circumstances, I think it's something that is incredibly, incredibly important public opinion. They should recognize that. Yes, that we are behind and we recognize and this is a battle that all of us have to fight.
0: Now, let's take the flip side. That was a discussion of when there's an imperative to be involved. Are there times that it's going to be prohibited to protest or counter-protest due to concerns of violence from pro-Palestinian activists? We've seen the activities on the campuses. It started out that uh, there were protests and then they become a little bit more belligerent a little bit more hostile in certain events. It was just an event recently in Los Angeles where a uh, a person was killed, Rahman Ali San, a Jew was killed um, when he was there to protest against uh, the Palestinians and the Palestinian acti- activists. So when, when does a situation or activity become too dangerous such that it needs to be avoided?
9: Yeah, one has to weigh those multiple factors. And I will tell you, you have to get an incredible sense of a das Torah, a proper psaq in terms of what is, and what is not appropriate. You know, what certainly is true when you fight the Mitzvah built into the confrontation is that you put yourself at risk. There is an inherent an element, sakana, but that doesn't always, always apply. Sometimes, ooh, as the Sefer Achinach writes, that sometimes you can't put yourself exactly, exactly in harm's way. And to know the risk benefits, knowing that applies requires And that's what we rely on Manhigim in Gedolim to be able to guide us. But one thing absolutely clear, it doesn't mean that every battle that we have to fight in a confrontational way, but it does mean that when the time arises and we can demonstrate our full support, that that's something that is vital and critically necessary.
0: Okay, very good. So let's talk about the individuals, the students on the university campuses. Unfortunately, on certain of the campuses, because there have been ev- events that have happened, because there's an environment of anti Semitism, some of the students are concerned that were the Jewish students. And uh, if you are wearing a yarmulke, you may be marked. Uh, we've seen examples that uh, at Harvard, for example, a Harvard business student was attacked and he wasn't even wearing a yarmulke and he got attacked by a group of Palestinian protesters or students in favor of the Palestinians. And the question is, when it comes to a yarmulke, at what point should the yarmulke come off? People may have a subjective concern of fear of being threatened, but it may not be objectively grounded. So at what point do we say that it's mutter and what ta- at what point do we say it's required to take the yarmulke off? And then how about putting on a hat versus going bareheaded? Mm-hmm.
9: That's a very a pressing, pressing question. I would say the shuvi Yamaka, those who are wearing their tzitzis, wearing their tzitzis out. Those who, of course, have a mezuzah fixed to their door, at, at what point do you argue that, you know, that itself is putting you putting you at risk? Each one, I think, no doubt, has to be assessed, and the assessment really has to be done thoroughly, thoroughly, l'haloch. You know, in terms of the yarmulke issue itself, you know, there is a fundamental, fundamental makhlokah saposkin, why we wear, and, and what is the significance, and how stringent is the need, the need to wear yarmulke. There are those and there in the Rishonim, the chuvas, Maribunin, Simil Semen the Taz, and Arachayim, and Simil Ches, that are very machne, regarding wearing the yamuk itself, to the point that its removal is a manifestation of Chukas HaGoyim. There I would tell you, Rav Moshe writes repeatedly, in Arachayim, and in Mishpat, and in Radeya, three Tshuvahs that Rav Moshe has, really assuming that there are times, there are times, select times, that a person, yes, can remove, can remove a yamukah. In the business world, it has to be a case where there's a substantial, significant, significant loss, where one can apply the Deen in Arachayim and and the Deen and Kufnan Zayin, that this really threatens a person's livelihood, threatens a parnasa. But realize, for Moshe's application is a limited one, in work, on premises, not to work, not back from work. And yes, if one can, of course, too, wear a head covering, even if it's not considered to be a yam- a affixing a mezuzah, the Makam Sakana, no doubt, it's a Sugya, it's a Sugya. The Gemara writes, uh, remarkable, that Abuli de Mechuzah, the entrance to Mechuzah did not have a mezuzah. So says that was Mishum Sakana, Mishum Sakana. So if a person will just simply argue that, you know what, a mezuzah is a Shmira, and therefore absolutely, categorically, it always must be there, I would say no. You see from the Sugya that's not true, but, but, you have to weigh, you have to factor, and when indeed it's appropriate to do so, and when indeed it's not, the tazrites and resh you know, you can fix them as if necessary by embedding it, embedding it into the side beam, and then you can cover it over. So if necessary, it is not as apparent, but it's clear, it's clear, it's in that if it really is a sakana, then no, but you have to get a real sense of Torah that does this raise to the threshold threshold of sakana and i will tell you what troubles me. let's assume for example the person feels absolutely yes it's a sakana for me to wear yamaka. it's a sakana to go ahead and to walk with my tzitzis exposed it's a sakana to have a mezuzah on my door i'll ask you the following that therefore what therefore what so that's where you position yourself but without a and without tzitzis and without a mezuzah that that really is the Ratsan Hashem. If one is convinced that this is a situation of sakana, you know what, you have to take a step back and ask yourself, is this where I belong? Is this where I should be? Is this the appropriate positioning? It should not be a situation where it's a sakana that will allow me to somehow negate mitzvahs daraisa, but you know what, but nonetheless, I'm willing to do that laman laman in order for what cause? You know, there is a Tosus in Sachim, where Tosus says today is, today is in if a person can avoid a situation of Sakana, but his remaining there will be an absolute Kiddush Hashem, does he even have the option, the option to remain? Or is he obligated, obligated to leave? And that Tosus writes is literally, Kiddush Hashem. by staying, I will be Mekadesh, Mekadesh Shem Shemayim. I will tell you, that was the case in Tosus, Im Chanani Mishav Uh, Our students on the college campuses, is not rising to uh, a message of that Kiddush Hashem that, you know what, that that would warrant sitting yourself in situations where you're not going to be able to observe the Mitzvah Hashem. And and I'll tell you something that frightens me. and, And I think that this could be perhaps another forum for discussion as well. You know, it's true that our young adults, our orthodox students, the men and the women on college campuses are finding themselves in a hostile environment of anti-Semitism, that's true. And they feel less comfortable in a college environment. That, That really is true. What concerns me, and I say this with a heavy heart, even more, even more, is the years and the decades that our students go to secular college campuses and feel comfortable, and feel comfortable. And it results in incredible attrition, a credible assimilation where our young men are not removing yarmulkes of fear of anti-Semitism, but they're not desirous of any longer wearing their yarmulkes. They're not parading with their tzitzis because they're abandoning the mitzvah of tzitzis. And, and yes, that the mezuzah remains empty, but, but not because of an anti-Semitic tendency, because you know what, there's an incredible pool there's an incredible attrition, and I'll tell you what's absolutely distressing: there are yeshiva high schools in the New York area and beyond that will welcome welcome representatives from secular college universities into their yeshiva for the purpose of recruiting. and And, and I will tell you that it's devastating. It's devastating because the students who go do not emerge as they as they enter. And now they're reconsidering, because how can we welcome them into the school if there's antisemitism on campus? I, I agree with the difficulty of antisemitism, absolutely, absolutely. But the fact that this has been going on, and the fact that we're losing one Neshama after another, and somehow that doesn't rattle us, it should be very, very clear that, you know, these students, post high school, Many of them go to Eretz Yisrael. When they come back during that window of time, they're making the most important decisions in their life who they will marry, the trajectory of their careers, what is important to them, what they stand for. And those decisions will be informed so differently if they are made in Yeshiva, with Rabbein, with Hadracha, as opposed to making those decisions without that anchor making it on. A college, a college campus. I fully agree that anti-Semitism is frightening, Is frightening, but it's devastating when our young adults feel so much at home on a college campus. I spoke with one Rosh Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. He told me that 40 percent, 40 percent of his students who enter his Yeshiva do so early decision with a binding commitment before they enter the Yeshiva of the secular college that they will attend the next year. It doesn't wow. even allow for the Hashva that we hope that the yeshiva and Eretz Yisrael have on them. If a boy wants to stay, that will be an incredible battle because he's legally bound to return. If he wants to redirect and go to a yeshiva, that's not an option. And that cannot be the mission of high schools, to see to it that, you know what, that we welcome recruiters, and that such a high percentage of students are accepting, yes, their stay in a college campus based on early decision.
0: As, as you're saying something very interesting, as Avram Avinu said to B'nei Ches, Ger fetoshav anochi achem. And it seems that right now we're concerned about the ger, being a ger on the university campuses post-October 7th. But before that, it may have even been more disastrous being the toshav on the Secular campuses, the being feeling very comfortable and being part of the crowd, and we've lost a tremendous amount of uh, otherwise from Jews because they became toshavim on the campuses. That's a very I couldn't I couldn't of. agree more.
9: You know that base alevi, the first base aleph in Parshas Vayishlach in Yud yad achim yad The base alevi writes that was the fear. That was the real fear of Yaakov, you know. Not that Esau would come as an enemy. Esau would come as a dear friend, preaching brotherhood. Nisav That was the real fear of Yaakov. You know? Because, you know, in anti-Semitism, it's obvious, it's apparent, your guard is up. You know what? But somehow, when you don't sense that and your guard is down, you know what? You start abandoning, Avoda HaShem. Not out of a sense of distress and anti-Semitism, but rather simply because you become absolutely indifferent to being an Eber Hashem. And that is the greatest, the greatest tragedy. That's something I think we have to address absolutely, absolutely head on.
0: Rabbi Sachs, thank you so much. I fully agree with that. Something just came to mind. I once had a student who had applied early admission, early decision to one of the secular universities, he came to yeshiva after high school, and then he had a change of heart and decided he wanted to go elsewhere, wanted to go to yeshiva and not go to a secular university. And had he had the question, not from a secular law perspective, but from a halakha perspective, was he permitted to renege on that commitment? that he made. And I conferred with Rabbi Yitzhak Breitowitz on that, who said, yes, he is permitted to renege on that. There will be no detriment to the university. They have a long list of potential students that they can accept and it will not hurt them whatsoever. If a student drops out, they can choose from thousands of others. And his psaac was that not a problem whatsoever and love to get your take. What would you say if a student came to you and he had that same shy about rescinding, reneging on his acceptance of going to a secular university?
9: I think there are times no doubt that can be done. One has to do so carefully, methodically, uh, I think you have to do so with a tremendous amount of reverence, meeting with the t- institution, recognizing that if indeed you stay, it's going to be for a very limited of time, which will not be to the betterment of the college, university as well. And, and at the end of the day, to try to at least allow them to understand why indeed you have a a, a change of heart. But clearly, clearly the balance, the access is different. You know, a Talmud can be on the fence. And if, yes, if this is all of a sudden so important to him, you know what, he will fight that battle. But if he's on the fence and he knows that he has a prior commitment and, and it really means reneging on that commitment, you know what, that he will be more hesitant to do so. And he will be likely to rationalize why, indeed, fulfilling the commitment is the appropriate thing to do. But I fully agree, Shiloh, that is necessary. And, and yes, those commitments are not Always absolutely binding in an ironclad fashion. I
0: agree. I'm hoping I'm hoping in the yeshiva that that Rosh Yeshiva said 40% of his, his students uh, go early decision and made these commitments. I hope they, they will play this interview out loud to that 40% so they can have uh, second thoughts on, on those decisions, especially. And I the...
9: hope so. You know, the, the high school boys are very impressionable. And if a guidance counselor will tell them, you know what, your chances of getting into university of choice are enhanced. By doing this, you know what? They will likely, likely agree. Sometimes the parents will pressure them to do so. That should not be the role of our yeshiva high schools. They have to recognize that, you know, the years we've invested in their chinuch is only the beginning. And we have to see to it that that is something that is manifest, that has perpetuated something that clearly clearly is supported in their coming their coming years and obviously we're not simply speaking about those who are sitting and learning for years and years and years but simply to be impactful to be a proper balabas, to be a good husband to be a good father that anchor in the torah Hashem is absolutely critical because the torah sashem doesn't only inform Haloch itself, it informs all the media davos as well.
0: Very good. Rabbi Sachs, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I greatly appreciate it.
9: B'Surus Tovos Kolton.
0: Joining us now is Jacob Berman. Jacob is studying business administration at Binghamton University. Binghamton has a lot of Jews in, in its undergrad school. It has approximately 25 percent up to 33 percent. So that's a, a quarter up to a third of the students being Jewish. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us.
7: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It is a pleasure. So Jacob, give us an overview of the environment for Jews on the campus. That's a lot of Jews on the campus, but have there been pro-Hamas protests? Have there been anti-Semitic incidents? I I did see in the news that there was a Binghamton student that was quoted as saying, Israel is worse than Nazi Germany, and that got into the news all over the place. So what's it like on the ground over there?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Binghamton has been Uh, For two years now, uh, a home away from home for me. I love the Jewish community here. I love the overall community. This place is very secluded, very safe. It's always been a very comfortable environment. And after October 7th, things really um, started to feel like they were changing. Um, A lot of students, they kind of used October 7th immediately as as a platform to start protesting, to start talking about the, the Palestinian cause. And a lot of the students around, around the community, we have a community of about 200 Orthodox students that uh, operate under the JLIC. And they were shocked because we were all in mourning, uh, even our our Orthodox rabbi, our JLIC rabbi, Rav Ben Menorah, actually went to Israel. Uh, he immediately, after, after Simcha's Torah, uh, hopped on a flight, joined the reserves. He's a commander. And he he left. We were all very nervous for how he was going to be. And things very much shifted. There was a protest um, that the SJP threw a walkout up for class. And I, I attended the protest as an observer to make sure that there were no altercations between the Jewish and the uh, pro- Palestinian protesters. And we were appalled to hear one student that was given a platform by the club to say the line of Israel is worse than Nazi Germany. It was It was actually abhorrent to hear. It was nothing that I would ever expect to hear on campus.
0: Wow. Unbelievable. What I've seen now, it seems to be getting a little bit more aggressive and worse. We've had the incident at Cooper's Union. We also had an incident right now, recently in the past few days at Harvard with a, a Jew or a couple of Jewish students being accosted. And uh, it seems, unfortunately, that things are getting more and more out of hand. You mentioned the students. Would you say that it's the students that are really involved in leading the protests? Are there faculty members that are involved as well? And how about the administration? Are they speaking out? Or are they just being sitting back and as we say in the Gemara that uh, they're being silent and if you're being silent that means you are concurring with the activities going on. So give us uh, further, further information on who's leading the charge there.
7: Yeah, absolutely. So the SJP on campus is actually very new. Uh, They were kicked off of campus a whole bunch of years ago and then managed to reform about two years ago. And they met with the Binghamton University Zionist organization right at the beginning of this war to kind of try to find some sort of united cause of we don't want to see anyone, any any trouble, anything like that. Uh, Unfortunately, negotiations broke down. We almost got them to uh, say that to condemn Hamas, uh, but then the national SJP came in and stopped them. And they have done a lot to... Try, I, I, I somewhat respect the, uh, some of the executive board members for their board, just because they have tried to do their best to keep things very civil. But unfortunately, as with all of these kind of protests, they gave platform to hate. And that's where that student got the got the opportunity to start saying some horrible things about Israel, about Jews. And it's definitely only a few students that have been doing that. Overall, Binghamton is a very tolerant place. But those students had the uh, platform to spread disinformation, to spread hate, and to poison the minds of a lot of students. Now, I really have to uh, give thanks to the administration for doing their best in this very trying situation. I uh, happen to be close with the university president, President Harvey Stanger, who, he came to Chabad dinner on a Friday night. He came to the Hill dinner a week later. We spoke for about an hour and a half uh, and he addressed a lot of the concerns that Jewish students were feeling about feeling very unsafe on campus, about really not knowing what's going to happen. And he, uh, for his part, is doing his best to try to quiet the disinformation, to make sure that students remain civil in their discourse while it's still a, a public university and promoting free speech. So he's trying very hard to find that balance.
0: To his credit, that's terrific. SJP is Students for Justice in Palestine. So is that a national organization that is based on campuses and pushing the uh, Palestinian agenda?
7: Yes. So on different campuses, they have different goals. Uh, As we see in a college like Tulane, which is 42% Jewish, they had an incident very recently. The SJP was caught up in that. Um, There are a lot of campuses where they really uh, espouse hatred and uh, the disinformation that we see that leads to these anti-Semitic incidents all across universities. Uh, uh, In Binghamton, it's not quite as bad just because the community itself is very tolerant. The Jewish community is very powerful. The Binghamton University Zionist organization caters to a lot of students. They're very well known. And the university as a whole has really adopted a a pro-Israel stance, which we greatly appreciate. But because of that, they've adopted their own idea of usually an SJP is it's us versus Israel and the university is the battleground. But for SJP and Binghamton, it's us. It's us versus Israel and the university because the university has already picked a side. So they've really become anti-institution um, against the entire cause of, of the university. And they've, they've really grown this, this kind of negative mentality on campus as a result.
0: A real para-adam with is fighting with everybody. So so as a Jewish student in an environment that is challenging, starting October 7th in particular, what's your advice for a Jewish student and what's your approach? Are you speaking up in favor of Israel or do you keep a low profile or maybe something in between?
7: So I'd say first and foremost, you should never keep a low profile. If you're a proud Zionist, if you love Israel, if that's part of your belief, you got to wear that on your sleeve. I have a shirt that says proud Zionist. I got it from Nefesh Benefesh for free. It's a big, big white letter that says proud Zionist on it. And I am not ashamed to wear that on campus. To hold true to your beliefs. Um depends on the environment on campus. If you know there you are legitimately afraid for your for your safety, wearing that kind of, of clothing or saying those kind of things, that's a legitimate issue. And speaking up on social media combating the the new fronts that has kind of grown of the war uh, in this day and age of the the social media fronts, battling disinformation, spreading good news from Israel, and really trying to educate people, trying to show people that the disinformation that SJP and the pro-Hamas protesters try to spread is false. Just being a good person, I'd say, is first and foremost to show that while they protest and burn things and are violence, we... Silently counter protest. We help other people doing chesed, doing mitzvot is really the most important thing. And of course, you know, try to help the cause in Israel as much as possible, whichever way you see fit.
0: Beautiful. As it says in the drush and the pasuk, that we should cause people or enable people to love HaKadosh Baruch So that's by being a mensch and being out there and doing mitzvahs and uh, keeping a smile on her face as much as possible and trying to have direct communication and conversation with people. Hopefully it'll show them the emis uh, that is so hard to find nowadays. Absolutely. Terrific. Jacob, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you.
7: Thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Joining us now, we have two brilliant individuals. We're going to talk all about anti-Semitism and also the status on campus, what's going on. Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein is joining us. Rabbi Adlerstein is the Director of Interfaith Affairs. For the Simon Wiesenthal Center, he is also the co-founder of Cross Currents, which is an online journal of Orthodox Jewish thought. And he's also the author of several Sfarim on the Maharal and the Slonema Rebbe. He was also, until moving to Yerushalayim, a professor of Jewish law and ethics at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. Rabbi Adlerstein, thank you so
3: much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be back uh, since our old days of learning tour Yarudaya, together. That was... Uh, 30, 25,
0: 30 years ago. Well, let's not think about that. It's been a while. And also joining us is Jonathan Rosenblum. Jonathan is a popular, I should say the popular columnist from Ishbacha magazine. He has also written numerous biographies on Gedolim. And today's topic is one of his favorite, maybe his favorite or least favorite, I'm not sure, unhappy that we have to talk about it. And uh, also he's uh, here as a graduate of the University of Chicago and Yale Law School. So he is intimately familiar with the campuses, or at least how they used to be. And he's very familiar with the situation today. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks. Thanks, Ari, for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. So Rabbi Allerstein, why don't we start with you just to frame our conversation? We will be focusing on anti-Semitism on the campuses, the elite campuses. But why don't we talk in general about anti-Semitism? The Mamar of Chazal, that's Halachi, It's a Halacha. It's like a Psach. It is known that Asav hates Yaakov. So, what does that mean? Asav doesn't represent Yishmal. It says Asav. We are right now in an unfortunate situation with Yishmal. So, if you could give us some insights as to what this Mamar of
3: Chazal is telling us. Sure. First, it might be worthwhile re- recognizing that the oldest. Uh, version of the Sifri, uh doesn't read halacha hi b'yadua. It reads, halo biaduah. That may or may not be significant because halacha hi is what's come to us in the so I think that's what we're going to work with. But it is uh, important to take your question and take it actually a little further. Who is the Esav? Most of the early sparim talk about Esav the person. How is it that Esav greeted his brother Yaakov with genuine affection maybe when they uh, when when they met after after all those years uh, it wasn't until fairly recently that you basically 19th century that you have lots and lots and lots of sparring. and kulam who assumed that Asaf has a wider signification than that and that it may mean uh, the west May mean Christianity, uh, or it may mean all non-Jews. Uh, whatever you think it means, it's important to keep in mind the Gemara in Avodah Zara, Gaf Yud Amidays, where uh, Rabenu Hakadosh, who uh, enjoyed a, a close personal friendship with Antoninus, possibly Marcus Aurelius Antonius, the Roman Emperor. Uh, they were close friends. They clearly cared about each other. Antoninus asked uh, his friend one day, uh, what's with me and Olam Haba? Do I have a chance of getting in? And uh, uh, Rabbeinu HaKadosh didn't waste any words. He said, you're in, for sure. He said, "What are you are you humoring me? How could that be? And he cited sukkim about how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu hates Edom and Esav. R- Rabbeinu HaKadosh's is. Uh, response to him was, that's only talking Ba'osa Misa asaph It's possible for somebody to come from the people, the culture, whatever you think asaph means, and still not be part of what the Torah describes is the fate of asaph Their are people, uh, individuals, maybe whole communities. And I, I believe today when you, when you see outpourings of support of Israel, uh, not only the, all the bad news that we're seeing, but incredible support. Who would have thought that in Vienna, where anti-Semitism has traditionally always been worse than in Germany, twenty-five thousand people would get together two nights ago in support of in support of Israel. And then there's the Netziv, not a minor player. In modern Jewish thought, the Netziv speaking about that fateful encounter between Yaakov and Esav when they embraced, the Netziv says that at that point, as Chazal say, according to one Mandi Yomar, Nichmeru Rachamov, Esav's mercy, his compassion for his brother was moved, and the Netziv says, and so was Yaakov's, Vechein Ladoros. And this is the way it should be in generations to come. That when Asov, the hated one, Asov, greets us, encounters us with genuine compassion and understanding for who we are, we are to return his embrace. So whatever you think the Asov in that Meimre Chazal, if they said it, there's a lot of wiggle room there to accommodate people who don't quite fit the script. For good and for bad. For
0: good and for bad. Right. So let's let's move over to Jonathan. Jonathan, well, uh, anti-Semitism on the canvas. Wait, wait a
2: second. Let me let me respond to that for a second. I think one thing that this mimer means is, among other things, one of the facts of history, of Jewish history, but of all history, has been the protean, the ever-changing nature of anti-Semitism and the unceasing nature of anti-Semitism. It never goes away. It just uh, Resurfaces in periodically, but usually not at long, not at not at long intervals. Uh, Jacques Maritain, a Catholic theologian who I always quote in my talks on antisemitism, said, "It is the vocation of the Jew to bring knowledge of God to the world. As long as the world has not accepted God, the the Jew remains a permanent irritant to the world's inhabitants. It's like a sand in the oyster. Then adding that." Uh, that and as long as the Jew will give the world no peace, as long as the world has no connection to God. So I think uh, it's important to understand that this is intrinsically bound up in the fact of our cho- of our na- uh, status as a chosen people and our special mission in history to bring uh, knowledge of God to the world.
0: And that that would explain why it's halacha and bi'adua. It's just innate. It may be passive sometimes, but it's there. But it's there.
2: Yeah, because I'll also say that Sinai is a lotion of Sina, that together with the giving of Torah came a certain measure of hatred into the world.
0: Right. That goes all the way back So, Jonathan, let's get to anti-Semitism on campuses. It wasn't great before October 7th, but it wasn't terrible. And October 7th, anti-Semitism exploded maybe uh, on certain campuses. It was okay right at the beginning. Certain campuses, it emerged immediately. And the question is, is this a localized anti-Semitism issue or is this a broader issue in society? Is it wokeism? Are they the same thing? Are they different? Walk okay. us through what you think is going okay. on. Okay.
2: First of all, I, I think your premise is wrong. This has been uh, hovering on the college campuses for a long, long time. You can go back 20 years the time Barry Weiss was an undergraduate at Columbia to see a movie called Columbia Unbecoming and see how the Middle Eastern Studies Department at the at Columbia filled with people like uh, Joseph Massad who was still there, still expressing his amazement and delight in the in the Hamas slaughter were uh, were taking it out on Jewish students and convincing other students that this was fully justified. Another, the head of the department at the time said every Israeli's facial structures are deformed from their long history of oppressing other people and so forth. There's a lot of anti-Semitism. Palestine apartheid week has been a regular feature of multiple campuses for at least 20 years. So this didn't just start yesterday. It's been going, it's been brewing for a long time. It derives from a lot of sources, a lot of sources which... uh, but I think I want to make one general point, which I think is important to emphasize. It's not just that the students on campuses really seem to know very little about the Israel-Arab and Palestinian conflict, and that they're filled with uh, nauseous ideas which have no real basis in fact. It's not just that they express a certain degree of anti-Semitism. It's that the universities are producing deformed human beings, deformed human beings. I mean, as Charles Lane from the Washington Post said, you cannot watch the the video of what Kamas was doing, the gleefulness, the excitement, pleasure even, if you will, of what they were doing, the delight in this, and not simply be appalled. It's not even the brutality and the savagery, it's how excited that they were about, about this. So now we have students and professors on these campuses expressing their absolute excitement, how it gives them hope. It's uh, enthralling, it's exhilarating, it's exhilarating, so
0: energizing, so the Cornell Ener- professor. energizing,
2: and so forth and so on. Um, and expressing this in eliminationist terms. Now, one nice thing about this is they've been very clear it's not just about Israel, it's not just about Zionism, it's about Jews. The frequency with which the anti Semitic memes on the uh, on the um uh, the Internal Communications Board at Harvard had come up, and Bill Ackman referred to that in his letter to the Harvard president this week. Uh, those things are popping in a uh, slack. It's called slack. I don't know what it is, but anyhow. Uh, he talks about how the, the frequency of anti-Semitic memes and calls for Jewish uh, for Jewish blood have appeared even at, even at Harvard. This is part of an ideology. But it, what you produced is people like Stabragin in Dostoevsky's uh, the possessed, which is better translated perhaps as the demons, people who are so enraptured by their ideal of the perfect world that they're going to bring about, they're willing to kill anybody who stands in the way. You just have to line up who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. So that's the uh, that's the notion of intersectionality. All brown people, all queer people. Uh, and no matter how much they have their heads chopped up, if they ever showed up in Hamas, they're all interlinked. They're all the good guys because they're victims. And, and and anything that advances any cause, any any of their causes is worthy of uh, chopping people's heads off and, and burning babies and, and, and making jokes. Oh, was the baby burned? Did they put in baking powder? They didn't put in baking powder. This is savagery. The expression of these kinds of talk by so-called professors and students is it it it's so appalling and the quickness they didn't even take time to absorb for one day the horror of what Hamas had done they were simply thrilled thrilled by it but this has been building up that's intersectionality it's the uh, diversity equity and inclusion bureaucracies which dominate universities at all levels across the country state universities Ivy League universities. The administrators; these administrators run the show, and it's 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 all based on what's your group and racial and ethnic and religious identity. Some are favored; Muslims are favored; Jews are disfavored. Jews are a successful class, so they have to be uh, they have to be disfavored. You know, when I applied to Yale Law School, I expected to get in. I wouldn't expect to get in today. I wouldn't expect to get in today because you're Jewish.
3: I would add. That, um, a- after that very eloquent presentation. And I think that Jonathan doesn't do justice to the fullness of the problem, uh, because it sounds like the, the, the problem is one that we've had our, uh, finger on the pulse of for quite a while. We've seen the development of the deformity of the, uh, the American mind on campus. But I think there's another factor, which is just as scary, if not more so, that the, the expression of these ideas is a function of how well they will be received or how they will be put down in the rest of society we the the sheer amount of anti-Semitism that is tolerated by everyone else who watches the depictions of of students on campus, uh, the 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 moral relativism that you see in the in the in the press, uh the, the demands for a ceasefire among celebrities in Hollywood. When celebrities in Hollywood call for something, you always know that the opposite is true. But all of this points to a change in the general societal acceptance of Jews and the acceptance to its opposite, to the acceptance of full blown, full-throated anti-Semitism, which makes this behavior tolerable.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, acceptable I just, and, and desirable.
3: Yeah,
2: I would add here that the, they're not going to grow out of this. <laughs> this is not something that these kids are going to grow out of. Because when the, the Harvard Crimson writes a pro-BDS, BDS was a fringe view, boycott the sanctions and delegitimization of Israel. These were Fringe views in American uh, campuses. The the Harvard Crimson comes out endorsing that uh, in an editorial. Uh, It tells you, so you think, well, they must be crazy. They don't want to go into journalism. No, they're trying out for the New York Times. Remember when Barry Weiss left the New York Times, she said, because I couldn't stand the attitude. They were always asking me, my fellow writers there, just a couple years probably out of college, uh, probably in the same school she went to, Columbia or the like. And and said to her, Oh, you're going to write about the Jews again? Are you writing about the Jews again? She said she got sick of hearing. Are you writing about the Jews again? Are you writing about Israel again? You get tired of it. But that's pervasive. These people have moved in to uh, major organs of of the society. The New York Times and BBC, as an example, BBC staffers were crying. They had they had to be they had the they have tearful breaks because. The BBC, which can't bear couldn't bring itself to call the Hamas invasion terrorism, nevertheless said it was a massacre. Oh, you said it's a massacre, we have to go break down and cry. So these they moved into the major institutions. The State Department is rife with them. The State Department had an internal rebellion against, uh, against its, its own administration for its support of Israel. Again, and they were all busy crying. Uh, and this, this is so we've moved in. we moved beyond the college age group. We've moved into the 25 to 34, the 34 year old group who are not a whole lot better. Of those, 54% didn't, wouldn't agree that Hamas had indiscriminately targeted civilians, not just on October 7th, but over and over and over again since they took over Gaza in 2007. Every time they're targeting civilians, they're sending their rockets at civilians. 48% of that group, the, the 25 to 34 year olds think perhaps Hamas's grievances justify their actions on October 7th. We're in a real, the dangerous state is that these kids grow up and they don't get any smarter.
0: Right. So they, And they have more access to the public, even more so. So Jonathan, you're saying that this isn't a localized problem at the universities and these are little children that are in Pampers and they'll grow out of that. You're saying that as a grow up through society, not necessarily grow up in their opinions, but as they go through society and they graduate, they'll go on to become the writers and they'll be, go, go on to become the, the professors and then go on to become the judges and go to, the, the politicians. And we've already experienced a United States president not too long ago that had this philosophy and they will be the Supreme Court judge
2: well, justices. And again recently, I mean, he mimics the Muslim Brotherhood when he talks. Uh, and he, he really uh, is pretty much but you know, it's not just the students; it's the professors. We have 200, you know, 160 professors at Cornell contextualizing Hamas's action. There's whole faculties, the gender studies departments, the decolonization departments, all these departments, and it's all supported by this immense bureaucracy, which every single application for a job on a, on a university campus, and not just in the elite campuses, you have to express your commitment. How will you advance? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. How will you advance the, your decolonization? Whether you're teaching physics, you could be teaching physics and they're asking you on that on your on your application. It's it, 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 the, the end of meritocracy entirely. But it, 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 these are we've had two generations of the SDS radicals of my time in college that, that were a small fringe in, of the late sixties. But Bill Ayers not only you know mentored. Obama, but uh, you know he was on the wanted. The, the FBI wanted this for a long time. They became a, a uh, you know, they became extraordinarily influential, and their influence is felt throughout the organs of society.
0: Right. So, so l- l- based on that, Rabbi Adlerstein, let's move over to you. Uh, talk about if this is a concern. Even for the more isolated from communities, there are many communities that aren't going to be sending, that don't send to universities, certainly the elite universities, and they're not necessarily on the Internet, maybe somewhat on the Internet, reading the news. Does this have an impact on them as well, or can they continue living in peace and tranquility and not having concern with our topic of the day?
3: I'm not sure I understand the question, Ari. To me, it seems so obvious that there should be more concern in concentrated areas of population, which is where we live, than any other place, we are targets. We've seen in 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 Brooklyn over the over the last year that the the anti-Semitism, which has been slowly or not so slowly growing in the United States, targets from Jews uh not exclusively, but uh has a preference for them. There you, you don't have to look hard to 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 find them. They're there, they're visible. Uh you can hurt them individually, you can hurt their property. I think that uh, uh, from communities are uh have, have a lot to have a lot to worry about. Um fortunately here in Yerushalayim, we still have room for a few people and uh we can uh we can we can accommodate them. I know this is going to sound uh perhaps forced to some listeners in America. Uh, and I, I doubt if you yourself disagree or Jonathan disagrees, but still we feel safer here than I would feel in the streets of Los Angeles at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think many people would say that. I think even and maybe especially the people that are living in those communities would say that. Uh, everyone feels more comfortable in uh, in Yerushalayim and uh, in Eretz Yisrael. So I, 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 do, I do agree with that. Uh, Jonathan, given all the depressing conversation we've been having here, do you think anything can be done about all this or is it simply a losing battle?
2: Well, there are people who are fighting back. There are people who are fighting back. Mark Rowan, who is on the board of uh, uh, Of of trustees of the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, not only closed up his checkbook, but he he didn't just stop paying money. He is trying to get the president of, of Penn booted. And he's enlisted some pretty high-powered people, Ronald Lauder, the Hutzman family from uh, from Utah, not Jewish, Mormons, uh, and other major givers to try and cost the University of Pennsylvania about a billion dollars if they don't get rid of this president who was warned over and over again. You shouldn't have university departments sponsoring a Palestinian rights uh, uh, festival, which is bringing in lots of known anti-Semites who call for the Elimination of Israel, who call for the uh, the absolute, who are actually calling for genocide. If there's anybody we hear of, innocent, Israel's genocidal, but th- what, what you really see is genocidal is the call of Hamas to kill every Jew in Israel and every Jew any place in the world. That's genocide. Calling for from the river to the sea, that's genocide. It's calling for the eliminationist uh, Bill Ackman, who said he's not going to employ people. Uh, the, the letter of the major law firms in America, including most of the tr- most of them, not traditionally Jewish law firms. I mean, it happens to be the organizer of that letter, I'm told, is a prominent uh, Orthodox lawyer who heads one of the biggest law firms in the world. But uh, the, the sign on to that was great. You bet, To all the law school deans, you better prepare your students to work in a, an environment where we're not going to tolerate anti-Semitism, where we're not going to tolerate uh, Racism. We're not going to tolerate these things if they're not prepared to work in an environment where you cannot. Go, that's harassment. That's much worse than all these mini aggra- microaggressions, which you're so concerned with. And and so there there has been a pushback. They're pushing for the firing of the president. Not just cu- closing your checkbook is a major is is a major thing. But it it, it won't be enough. That's for sure. Among our other allies, then these are Yitzhaks. Yitzhak's friends, so I think I'd like to let him address it, the Christians, and we risk losing the young Christians. This is something Yitzhak's been harping on for more than a decade. But, you know, here's here's a community where we should be getting out material to. History, uh, uh, history material about the Arab-Israel conflict is the homeschooling community. It's the fastest-growing uh, educational institution, instead of sending kids through— uh, we take ethnic studies courses that are prepared by uh, by the same DEI bureaucracy for high school students, let's reach out to the homeschooling universe, which is growing phenomenally uh, important. We really have to think about creating universities. There was an initiative a couple years ago, Austin College, which, but it's a small college. There are ways to do it online. You don't have to spend $100,000 on an Ivy League per year an Ivy League education, you can get some of the best professors in the world. that could be organized by an organization like TICFA. You know, I've been pushing TICFA. You have to become a university. You have to become you have to provide classes, but you also have to provide classes for those the students who want to be doctors. You have to revise the accreditation organizations. Uh there is somebody like uh, Ron DeSantis who at least understands that where the powers of where the levers of power can stand have shown have really shown the way to some extent uh, with fighting the accreditation organizations which all require the fealty to the DEI fiality to the DEI uh mindset. But we we have a lot of we still have a lot of friends in America, but we really have to learn how to and I, I'd like to let you uh, speak so Rabbi
0: to that. On that. Let me just reintroduce you, because it's important. You're the director of the Interfaith Affairs, which means you deal with other religions as uh, part of your responsibilities at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. So talk to us about who's still our friend out there, who's a real friend that Jews and Israel still can look to and rely on.
3: Sure. But uh, before I do that, I, I want to throw in a couple of other very important observations about Pushback or what we could be doing outside of my particular area of interest. One of them is political in if we want the quality of life not to to decline precipitously in America, there should be no question that when there are incidents of anti-Semitism in our communities, even ones that we think are sort of, oh, they're not so serious and it's random and it's an individual, we don't have anything to worry about yet. Please understand that politicians do the will of the people. And if people, if citizens don't demand things They don't get them. Any incident of anti-Semitism has to be addressed, even at the expense of people saying, aren't Jews overreacting?
2: Let everybody know and make this argument. Those who hate Israel, those who hate Israel also hate America. They hate America. And And we want Americans to feel that.
3: Another factor that we should keep in mind, another thing that can help, at least in the short and intermediate uh, run, is that we should be talking more to our non-Jewish neighbors, sometimes to our Jewish neighbors as well, who are hopelessly confused, who know very, very little about historical context, and uh, just devour whatever they're getting from MSN and social media, and in private conversation, we can do a, can do a lot of good. Um, whether it's going to, can ever mean a reversal of the trend, I doubt it. But as Jonathan said, we need all the allies that we can get. And that means that those of us who who interact with the greater world out there should be more forthcoming with sharing our, our well-studied uh, understandings and beliefs with our neighbors. I was just asked, by the way, I was just asked uh, two hours ago by...
2: Two daughters of the Bostoner, the late Boston Rebbe of New York, they said that uh, their trauma therapists, the major organization of trauma therapists in America, the president put out a statement condemning Hamas, and then she retracted and started talking about Israel's kidnapping. There's a lot of need for trauma therapists in Gaza because kids are seeing their parents kidnapped by Israel and taken away. And they asked me, "Would you talk to her? Would you?" Agree to have a conversation with her. So there is an exam. There is an example of somebody trying to arrange this so that you can just talk about a factual level. Most Americans don't know that Israel has not been in Gaza since two thousand and five. They simply don't know that. that How do you
0: they- occupy a place when you're not in it? <laughs> right. Exactly. And and Rabbi Adlerstein on on the last point. Who are our friends out there?
3: We have a huge number of friends out there. Um, and one of the mistakes that we make is that we take our friends for granted. We are so beleaguered and so in search of new allies and more love that those people who have stood by us, uh, we don't, we don't realize all the time that they need a pat on the back all the time. And in, in the, in the hours after October 7th, my inbox was full of lots of inquiries, lots of of uh, messages of support, 90% of them came from from evangelical Christians. And some not so evangelical Christians, but people who were well grounded in what some people mock as the Judeo-Christian legacy and say there's no such thing. There is such a thing. There there is such a thing in that it it means that there's a God, that he has uh, expectations of people, uh that there are absolutes in the world these are things that are shared with a a growing number not a declining number a growing number of Christians around the world uh, right wing christianity is is doing wonderfully in parts of the world that uh increasingly we have to invest in Africa it's South. not just America, that we don't invest the occasion it's,
2: Asia, it's that we it's that just, just, most just, secular just, Jews they look at Christians as somehow uh, they look at them negatively. I think that may change now. I think a lot of secular Jews is sort of, I mean, I you've spoken about this too many times. Is isn't this a problem that it's not just ignoring them, not saying thank you? It's that simply mocking them or you know looking at them is somehow
3: dangerous to us. Right. I, I don't have an I don't have an easy cure for that, and I haven't invested much mental energy in that. But we are a community that's recognized by Christians as being different, as being, I won't say closer theologically, but closer in values than much of the rest of the Jewish community unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately and we there's a tremendous amount of, of goodwill directed towards us and we we could be doing more. one is starting as you say, recognizing just who they are and how and how deep-seated it is. I, I know Christian groups that devote 25 minutes a day every day since October 7th in prayer. I know of groups that are fasting. They have round-the-clock rotation of people fasting for Israel. I have, I have uh, recordings on my phone of a, uh, a youth group in lower-middle-class central California, mostly non-English speakers, Hispanic, waving Israeli flags and singing songs, and they can sing Shema Yisrael in Hebrew, and they love Jews, and they love Israel, and they recognize what uh, what they don't recognize on campus. As George Orwell once said, uh, some ideas are so stupid, you can only get into intellectuals to believe that. And, uh, you know, Lehad <laughs> L- 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 Miller used to say, if you want to get any common sense, go speak to a truck driver. Um, there's a There's a lot of that out there of people who still know the difference between good and evil, who won't contextualize, who'll say that evil is something that you try not to understand. Like the body doesn't have to understand that something is noxious before it vomits it out. When you're faced with the evidence of what Hamas did and what Hamas is, you don't want to understand it. You just want to run away from it or destroy it. There's a religious argument that you can't run away. You have to destroy it. And there are literally millions of people who believe that. So we, we, have to, we have to be more forthcoming in showing them recognition and thanking them for what they're doing and for cultivating more... By philosophy. the way,
2: by the way that, once America believed in that too, once America believed in that, they demanded unconditional surrender from Japan and Germany. Denazification was central. Without unconditional surrender, there would be no modern Germany. There'd be no, nothing that's arisen from those ashes. Neither Japan nor, nor Germany would have been possible without ridding themselves of the disease that had taken over. And that really is, I, to me, that seems to be the model of what we have to do with Kamas. Certainly, certainly should be followed prompto.
0: Last question for each of you. Should Jews, Orthodox Jews or non-Orthodox Jews, be sending to the leading universities that are evidencing such anti-Semitism? 30
3: seconds for each of you. Rabbi Adlerstein, go ahead. Uh, even without what everything that we've heard today, I don't think we should be sending uh, our kids to those universities. Um uh, We discovered uh, 10 years ago uh, the claim that uh, over 50% of kids from modern Orthodox backgrounds that go off to schools, including the Ivies, uh, are not Shomer shops within three years. Uh, Nobody knows whether the figure is exact, but it was something everybody believed. And there was a shift at the time that maybe... We have to reorient what our goals are, and that people—and there's unfortunately still people who think that the highest form of accomplishment for my, cho- for my children is that they attend the Ivys. Uh, a lot has changed since then, and it's not worthwhile risking now—not just spiritual danger, but physical danger as well. Right, and Jonathan,
2: I happen to hear today a uh, actually on NBC News an interview with three. I think they were girls who would all come on gap year programs. One at Columbia, one at NYU, and one at Cornell, and they're badly, badly shaken, uh, badly shaken. I mean, the short answer is no. The question is, where do you send them if you, if they want to become a doctor, if they want to become well, lawyer? They could. We could do without so many Jewish lawyers, but doctors we still need. Uh, I mean, that that's a question. But is is it worth the price? that they're paying in, uh, in, in in what's in what's lost. I definitely don't think it's the price. You know, as Robert George told me, uh, a very conservative professor at Princeton, he once told me, uh, you can't get the parents not to send their kids here, no matter what you show them, and no matter how antithetical it is to their values, they still want them to get a job at uh, at um, Goldman Sachs when they get out. They, they want that credential. We're going to have to live without that credential. And I think Goldman Sachs will go along with us. They'll start looking for their their hirees in other places than the Ivy League. They they are hiring
0: from Yeshiva University. I know that as a fact. So uh, those people are getting great jobs. They are becoming doctors. They're becoming attorneys. And uh, they are staying from. So Ron, we put in a plug for why at the end of this. And also. Anturo. In... What?
3: Anturo. Anturo.
0: And as well. I was about to say that. And as well. We have universities. Let's send to them and uh let's avoid the issues out there. Rabbi Alderstein, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. A real pleasure having both of you together. Great to have you.
2: Thank you. Thank Thanks you. Thank you, Rebecca.
0: Joining us now is Yitzi Tanner. Yitzi is working on a bachelor's and a master's in physics and also biophysics at the University of Pennsylvania, which is one of the elite Ivy League schools. This this is actually one of the schools that has been in the news recently regarding anti-Semitism on the campus. Yitzi, thank you so much for joining us.
10: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on this podcast. Well, thank
0: you for sharing with us in advance. So basic question. Talk with us about the environment for Jews on the campus. Have there been pro-Hamas protests? Have there been anti-Semitic incidents? Because a number of the campuses had some incidents that have been in the news. Penn has been in the news a lot as well. So tell us what's going on on the ground there.
10: Uh, There have been specific problematic things that have happened. Someone drew a swastika. Um, there was a literature festival here about Palestinian literature that was very controversial and brought in a bunch of speakers with, um, you know, anti-Semitic uh, pasts, and that was that was very troubling. Someone uh, who seemed to be mentally ill broke into or went, in, went into the Hill building one day and was you know shouting anti-Semitic slurs about how the Jews um, killed Yashka. And he broke, uh, he like, you know, threw a podium on the floor and broke it. Another thing that happened was over this past Shabbos, uh, there was a Jewish house on campus, a Jewish apartment, and they had a flag of Israel and someone tore down the flag. So there have certainly been anti-Semitic incidents on campus. There have been some pro-Palestine rallies on campus. Um, I think if you ask the organizers, they would probably say they were not pro-Hamas rallies. They would say they were pro-Palestinian rallies. I I think one thing that's been troubling to see is someone who's been on the ground, as you've mentioned, that Penn has been in the news a lot. So, for example, there was a video that went viral and got like half a million views or something that showed students marching and and saying, we want Jewish genocide. Or there was a video that went out yesterday that showed someone ripping down a poster of, uh, of someone who's been taken captive by Hamas. And the caption was, oh, look at this professor who's tearing down this picture. Um, and that's been kind of troubling for me to watch because I was, I was there and the people were not asking for Jewish genocide. They were saying, we charge Israel with genocide. No one here knows the identity of the person who tore down the poster. There's no evidence that they were a professor. Um, so it's been troubling for me as someone watching, who's been live on the ground here to watch in the news, how things spiral and they get out of control and they're, you know, often slanderous and they're not really... True. Um, so I don't. I don't want to minimize what's been going on. There certainly have been problematic things happening on campus, but at the same time, I think that uh, we recognize that a lot of what's been said is not necessarily true. And right. So, uh, so in a nutshell, it, it's a
0: minority, but a loud minority of people who are making the noise and the protests and the like. But it, it's still disconcerting. Right. It, does this take you by surprise? Did it take you surprise, especially after October seventh, the uh, the murders, the terrible disaster that occurred to Kalal Israel, and then things turn around
10: against Israel? I, I guess I've been surprised by, you know, people's response. Like the the people who are, who are really pro Hamas, um, that's that did surprise me. Like I didn't, I didn't realize there were people who just really want um, Israel to be destroyed um, here on campus, I think still, I, I will emphasize that's a minority, but I guess that, uh, minorities should be concerning. And that was something I was surprised to see.
0: Right. Right. So the next question for you is what should a Jewish student do in an environment like this? Uh, what's your Etsa, for example, do you go out and walk around with an Israeli flag or do you keep a low profile? What's the safest thing to do? What's the most advisable thing to do? Sure.
10: So I don't know if it's the best idea, but I can tell you what I've been doing. Um, So I was talking to some friends before they had one of the, before people had a pro-Palestine rally. um, And these friends were trying to decide what the best response was. And I realized that the the concern that these friends had was they don't want the passersby, the, you know, innocent Penn student who doesn't know anything about the conflict, to pass by and see people talking about how, you know, Israel is committing all these atrocities, and suddenly turn to be anti-Israel. So, based on that, I realized that if that's the concern, the best way to do it is to talk to these people who are passing by. So, if you remember from your time here, Locust Walk is a very central thoroughfare on campus. Everyone who's going to their classes has to um, pass by it. So. Myself and a couple other students, we set up a table on Locust Walk. We have a big Israeli flag on the table and a sign that says, come talk about Israel. Um, And we stand there. We ask people if they want to talk about Israel. Uh, We give out free cookies. I think that makes more people come. And we have conversations with people about Israel. So a lot of people come and they say, you know, I don't know where Israel is or what is this word Zionism that everyone keeps saying mean? and we talk to them. And some of the people say, you know, I'm pro-Palestine, but uh, let's talk about it. Um, and that's very interesting. Um, and overall, I think that's been pretty productive. We have gotten a few people who have who have been um, antagonistic and not, you know, not easy people to talk with. But overall, um, you know, standing on Locust for many hours and talking to people about this, most people who pass by are very, Either they don't they don't know so much, or they are pro Israel. Um, and even the what I'll call the pro Palestine people, most of them are are not. A, their thinking is not as black and white as we'd like to think. And they they're concerned about humanitarian issues on both sides. Well,
0: one last question for you: Other advice when you have uh, students that are considering coming to Cannes, or going to the other schools that are having these challenges, what would you say to them? Is this an environment they should be coming to or is this an environment they should avoid? There are safer places to go that they're not going to have to deal with these issues.
10: You know, there are people who are making a lot of noise. There are some people who have been doing really terrible things. But overall, I don't think that this should be a big factor in deciding whether or not to come to Penn. If I was in 12th grade, and knew what I knew about Israel on campus now, that wouldn't have changed my opinion at all. I think the question of, you know, going to a secular college is a much broader and much more individualized question. But I think at least for Penn, I can say I wouldn't um, I wouldn't be too concerned about anti-Semitism or the Jewish environment here on campus.
0: Great. Very good. Yitzhak. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've got a lot on your plate. You've got a very intense classes, you've got a learning schedule, and you've got now a recruitment schedule to be lovers of Kalal Yisrael. So keep up the great work and everything you're doing. I want to thank you so much
10: for joining us on the show. Okay. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Joining us now is Rabbi Beryl Wein. Rabbi Wine is the renowned Rav, the former Rosh Hashiva historian, popular speaker, and so much more. Rabbi Wine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ari. So Rabbi Wine, today we're talking about anti-Semitism, and we'll focus also on university campuses. But let's start in general about what's the root cause of anti-Semitism? Is it the same we've seen historically? Are things different today? Where do we start on this?
5: The atonement says, Loma Koshmo Sinai." Why was it called the uh, Sinai? It's a play on words. Anti-Semitism uh, begins with our father Abraham. Yeah, and continues till today. The basic, the basic root cause is because we dare to be different. We dare to have our own opinions, our own beliefs. Uh, we don't believe in the rule of the majority. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're a thorn in the side of every idea and power in the world. We have always been that. So uh, people don't like that. So it took t- different forms. The anti-Semitism of the Romans was because the Jews exposed paganism as being nonsense. The whole Roman society was based upon paganism and uh, upon immorality. Jews basically, even though there always were immoral Jews, God forbid, but Judaism is against immorality. And uh, people don't like to hear that. It disturbs them. It's not the channel that they want to turn on. Today, uh, you know, uh, the state of Israel is at the forefront, but the Jewish people are there. A large section of the Jewish people uh, say to the world, you're crazy. You're wrong. Your ideas are nefarious and false. Pie in the sky. We're not going along with it.
0: And we're not changing.
5: And we've never changed. We change uh, uh, socially, uh, externally, uh, etc. But basically, I'm of the opinion that if our teacher Moses came down from heaven to look at us today, we would recognize him and he would recognize us. And even though he wouldn't have a strimal and a zuppage and he wouldn't have a black hat, uh, but he would recognize us and we would recognize him which is something that you cannot say for Julius Caesar or Henry VIII or, unfortunately, even George Washington. I think that's a big difference. And that's why they hate us. So is, it, is it hatred? Is it jealousy? It's, what, what, uh, the end is hatred. How you got there, you can get there through jealousy. You can get through a bad experience that you had with a Jew. You can get there through uh, false news. You can get there through fake history. There are a lot of roads to get there.
0: The end is hatred. Now, now why does it get as extreme as Australia, after the Hamas attack and even before Israel retaliated, a real procession of Australians chanting, gas the Jews. Why do you
5: think Australians are different than Germans or even than Americans? It's it's the same thing. And that extreme gassing the Jews. That's the solution.
0: That's how to get rid of this thorn in your side. Anti-Semitism, especially on campuses. Why are university campuses such virulent places when it comes to anti-Semitism?
5: Throughout the history of the world, it's been the intellectual class that has led anti-Semitism. In Germany, it was the philosophers and the musicians. It's always been the intellectual class because the Jews are the greatest threat to them because they are the most arrogant, and they're the ones that know better, and they're the ones that control society in their minds. You don't think the professors at Rutgers resent Lakewood? Uh, I think it's clear. And uh, the intellectual class in our time has become uh, not only agnostic, but basically atheistic. It represents all moral values that Judaism has rejected and continues to reject. And therefore, uh, you know, and uh, there is within uh, the genes of the non-Jewish world, a receptor that if that receptor is fed, causes the reaction of anti-Semitism. And so uh, that's what happens. Uh, You know, so uh, they're they're angry at the Jews. I would say that most of the Australians who shouted, uh, you know, gas the Jews never met a Jew in their life.
0: So is it just a thing to do? It's
5: not a thing to do. It's, it's a way to get the rage and frustration of living in this imperfect world out of us.
0: And the Jew is a scapegoat. The
5: Jew is here because the Jew represents uh, the uh,
0: antidote to, uh, to really to what's going on. Right. So so I guess that begs the question, is there anything that we can do? It seems that no matter what we do, it, it doesn't help. So either as individuals or as a community, is there something to do to counter the antithesis?
5: Well, we have to try to counter it. We have to try to moderate it. have to try and damp it down. But I don't think there's anything within us to eliminate it until the day of the final redemption. Just try to put out the fires, but... Yeah, right, to call them out on it, that's all, that's, that's what we can do. Right. It's not going to be prudent. It never was, and never will be. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I told somebody, you know, uh, I had to go to the shelter on Simpsa Torah eight times. I was in Ramat Bichemish, my daughter's home, eight times he we went through the sealed rule. So I told her, I said, you know, I never felt so Jewish in my life. There's a lesson here. Not an easy lesson. None of the lessons are easy. And the Lord does not mark us on the curve. He marks on absolute. Okay,
0: we'll see what happens. So we better excel. It will always be good at the end. Amen. Rabbi Wein, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Okay, cold to